Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome once again at Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I do, I, I look at, uh, every now and then, I take a look at the, the statistics that the wrestling podcast returns, and based on that, I do want to take a second uh, to welcome everybody who's new to the show over the past few weeks. There has definitely, probably since Roadblock, uh, end of the line, I guess that might have been a, a, a moment that brought new people on board, but for whatever reason, those of you that are new to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, uh, welcome. I realize maybe it's been a couple weeks and you guys feel like, oh, I'm late to the party. Everybody's talking like they already know each other and I just got here. I feel out of place and weird. Well, you're not out of place anymore. I'm glad that you decided to come on board. I'm glad that you've decided to be a part of this thing. Look, this is what it claims to be. This is just my spot as a wrestling fan to talk about wrestling. It's not a place... uh, to, to vent my frustrations or to or to get mad about wrestling because the thing about me is like I got enough stress in my life that I can't get rid of, you know? So if the things that entertained me I found stressful to the point where I was like, I, I don't like this, I got to complain about it, I wouldn't watch it anymore. I'm a wrestling fan. I still like wrestling and that's why I do this show because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a WWE fan uh, till the day I die, born, you know, I was born in New York, so WWE is what I was, was raised around, and, and WCW came after that, and then the Indies came after that, and I was a tape trader in high school, and I've just been obsessed with this stuff for a long time, and this is my outlet and my place to talk to you guys about it, and I'm glad that you're here. It's also an excuse to get to talk to some of the most amazing people every week. You know, like, I would love to just be able to find people in the pro wrestling industry and just be like, hey, can I just talk to you for an hour? Like, do you want to just talk and I just ask you a bunch of questions about wrestling? And if it was like that easy and they're like, yeah, yeah, just give me a call. Or, yeah, let's meet. Yeah, let's go hang out somewhere. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would do that every week. But when you have a podcast, they actually say yes. See, then there's a reason for you to have a conversation. So it's not weird. It's not just you calling up random people that you're fans of and being like, hey, you want to talk about what you do? If you say all of a sudden, we'll record it and I'll put it on the internet, then, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And that's kind of how I feel about today's episode. I'm going to have a great state of wrestling with a special guest. Um, I bet you can guess who it is. You'll be very excited if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time. Uh, But, and if you haven't, I'll, I'll let you know during our break, but... First, we start with the interview, and this is what I'm talking about. So a couple, a few weeks ago at this point, I told you guys about another podcast. I fully believe that it is quite healthy 
I do one podcast a week. You know, I'm used to the world of radio where I'm doing – I do a three-hour radio show every single day, Monday through Friday. So the the reality that in the podcast world I can just come on here and talk wrestling with you guys for an hour or two once a week, that's not really going to – it's not that big of a time investment for you, meaning you can find other wrestling shows to listen to during the week and still have plenty of time to subscribe, download, rate, review on iTunes, do the whole deal for Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I'm at the moment a little bit obsessed with a podcast called Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard is, uh, if, if you're a WWE fan from the 80s, late 80s into the early 90s, you got to remember Brother Love, one of the most memorable, he turned into one of the most memorable characters of the era, but Bruce Pritchard played Brother Love. Not only that, he worked with WWE starting, I believe, in 1987 and going all the way into the 2000s. He had a couple of breaks here and there, but he has seen a lot. And when I say worked with the WWE, I'm talking inner circle. This was a guy who, before there was a giant writing team, before they were sitting around, you know, listening to uh, 30 people who write TV shows about what should we should do this week, what we should do next, next week, it was Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Bruce Pritchard sitting around Vince's swimming pool saying, what if we did this? And figuring out the things, the stories that were uh, 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 stamped, branded into our memories as kids forever. All that stuff that was like, it was like, it was like folklore. The WWF in the late 80s, early 90s, that's my Grimm's fairy tales. I will never forget those stories. And those stories were thought of in part by this guy, Bruce Pritchard. He went on to run talent for a while. Uh, he went on to uh, 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 produce television for a while. Like he, he, he filled a lot of roles, but he was a part, a big part and witness to a lot of history in the pro wrestling industry. And what he does on his podcast every week is he and his co-host, Conrad, who's great. Uh, Conrad is just a giant wrestling fan like me and just has, has researched this stuff and asks all the questions that we could possibly want to know. They take a single topic and they just run with it. And sometimes the show's 90 minutes and sometimes the show's three hours. And and they just let you know what what was going on, what was happening, why it was happening, and they go into detail about this stuff. And and there's episodes like there's a of course there's a Montreal Screwjob episode. There's an episode explaining everything that happened at Survivor Series 1990. There's an episode uh, a really funny one that talks about Vader's career in WWF. Like it's 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 a single topic, and they just go no guests, no hey here's what happened this week on Raw, which is what we do here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So it's not like we're stomping on each other. You know what I mean? They're they're to me. The podcast, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast and Something to Wrestle With are actually very, very complimentary in terms of being in the, in the podcast realm together. So, as a fan of that podcast, and quite frankly, as, as a fan of everything that Bruce Pritchard was involved with throughout his career, uh, I reached out to him on Twitter. And as it turns out, he was a, a listener to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So I said, this is easy. This is really easy. Why don't you come on? And we'll just talk. And, like, I'm so used to hearing his podcast. I was like, okay, what's the topic that we're going to hit? How about 
what was really in the bag marked ten thousand dollars when one two three kid took it from razor ramon what happened when and i was like wait 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 no 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 i can't just do his podcast on my show why don't i just talk to him why don't i just get to know bruce pritchard and ask him about some of the things that i've been curious about in his past in wwe how some of the stuff worked what happened with with a couple of the little things that just pop out in my brain and to me you guys know anybody that's listened to this show knows that i'm a, a big fan of storytelling storytelling is why i watch wwe so that's what i tend to focus on and that's a little bit of what i focused on with bruce pritchard so let's get to it enough of the yip yap bruce pritchard is my guest this week on sam roberts wrestling podcast and now the sam roberts wrestling podcast interview yeah that's right for the record i don't think this is a rib bruce pritchard is on sam roberts wrestling podcast what's going on man that is not a rib <laughs> my God. but you can rib them you know, no i i see i immediately go into sales mode right there but no it's it's not a rib it's really me i, I can't believe that i'm actually on the sam roberts show well, how does that happen it happens but i can't believe that you have more catchphrases i mean i feel like growing up a wrestling fan i feel like you had you know i love you you had brother love you had the whole thing and that's your your moment. Most guys get their one moment. And now, as much as you're kind of against a lot of the quote-unquote wrestling journalists and the online culture of, of gossip and rumors and all that stuff, you've become a hero to the masses with your own new catchphrases. It's remarkable. Uh, well, I, I, hero may be, may be stretching it a little <laughs> bit. Um but hey, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Um, my my kids, I'm not their heroes, so I might as well be somebody's. Damn. Yeah. Do they know that uh, that you have a that you have a big podcast now? Do they get that? Yeah, they do. I mean, God, they're they're teenagers, so okay. I make all of their friends download it and um, <laughs> all that. But yeah, they do. They think it's pretty cool, but they would never admit that to me. So how do you how do you describe yourself and your time specifically at WWE? Do you first say well I was brother love and then I was also you know the producer of TV and I was also because I feel like there are so many things that made up your time you know you, you were one of the guys at the at Vince's pool coming up at storylines like there's not many guys who have worn any of the hats that you wore let alone all of them that's interesting because usually the last thing that I ever bring up is that I was brother love and that I was a talent yeah, I, I've to me the the run was behind the scenes uh, as a television producer, as a writer, as um, even though I was an administrator, that was uh, the part that I didn't have the most fun at. But being behind the scenes and being able to contribute creatively is what I'm most proud of, and that's the part that I probably tend to gravitate to. How did you how did you like balance that right because brother love was enormous for the 3 years that he was enormous and at the same time you're this behind the scenes guy you're producing TV you're supposed to really be there to help the talent not to get yourself over but then all of a sudden you're in this position where brother love is a successful character that you want to be able to maintain and give yourself spots if you know what I'm saying 
Well, the position of Brother Love was to get other talent over. It wasn't about me getting over. The character, the idea behind it was all about a platform to spotlight other talent. Now, you take Piper's Pit, which I completely stole 90% of my shit from, um, and guys like that, that their goal was to get themselves over because they were wrestling and they were they were drawing money. My job was more of getting other talent over and being a platform to help get other talent over. In the process, as Bobby Heenan told me uh, from day one, that you get over when you get other people over. And that's right. the secret. So so if you find yourself getting over, you means you're doing your job right because other people are on that wave with you. Exactly. And and that was Bobby's big thing. As a manager, Bobby's job was to get his the talent that he managed over. And if he stole the spotlight, that didn't help them any. But the stronger they got, the stronger Bobby got. Right. And I use that same philosophy with Brother Love and – for me, the character and the everything about it was to get away for a little while from the the tedious the, the television production and my real job, if you will. <laughs> yeah, just so you could you could have that segment off from producing because you actually had to do the segment. You exactly, had to, you had to perform in it. Isn't it amazing? You talk about like stealing from Piper, but I love as somebody who's now been watching for 30 years that no matter what when you give a bad guy an interview segment whether he does it every show or whether he does it some shows it started with piper's pit it went on to the brother love show it's always the same snatch the mic away from the good guys he tries to answer the question until the good guy hits you in the face that same bit every time and for some reason it always works well, that, I was going to say that's the reason is because it always works. So <laughs> it uh, you do what you do to that gets a reaction. So yeah, do you think that uh, I, I feel like as as I've gotten older and I've 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 spoken to more people when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're watching it and you first start to realize what's going on. Like I know as a teenager, I had this vision of uh, WWE working in this way where they had like a year planned out right like we what we see on tv they already know a year from now what's going to happen and then as you kind of get further in you realize that it's a lot more fly by the seat of their pants because they might have a plan for a year out but within a month that plan is probably going to go to shit and they're gonna have to figure something else out for tonight and so let's go for it uh is that how you which is much more the case now than it was then you find so yeah, well, it, it just is because we recorded three weeks at a time. Right. So when we were writing, we were blo- we were writing in blocks of three-week segments. So you were married to it pretty much, and we had that story. We knew where the end was, and we were going to get there come hell or high water, and it would take a drastic – something to happen for us to change our ways back in the day. When we went live, mm-hmm. that enabled us to listen to the crowd and change on the fly if you needed to. I was I was thinking about just that because, like, you guys did a great podcast about the Mega Powers, right, and that whole build, and it's just it, – it just reminds you 
of what great storytelling. If anybody is a wrestling fan for the storytelling like I am, like that's kind of the quintessential wrestling story. And I thought, like, I don't remember the last time something was played out that well. But then I realized, like, you could really draw a comparison to what Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens are doing now to what was going on with Macho and Hogan back then. Without a doubt. And that's the key to good storytelling. If you can go back and realize, hey, when that happened, oh, my God, it meant this. To me, that's just great storytelling. And while you may not know it and and you don't have to beat them over the head with the just obvious, when you tell a story over a period of time and all those little nuances start to add up and make sense, to me, those are the best stories. When you're you're telling a story, do you you like to – drop nuances, some of which might go nowhere and some of which really go somewhere depending on – like if you don't know exactly where the story is going to go because a lot of times you know, we don't know where a story goes. But do you drop nuances as you go just in case, okay, well, if it goes this way, we're going to have this path that we can look back on. And if it goes that way, we can look back on that path. All the time. You also drop those nuances to see where the audience is going to take it. Right. Right. And they they may go in a completely different direction than what you thought, and you listen to them and go, "Oh, hey, man, they're they're going there. Well, let's let's make a left." Yeah, and yeah, I guess if you if you start to hint at a turn and the audience is just not reacting at all, you go, "Okay, maybe we don't go there. Maybe we go someplace else with it." Exactly, or or maybe you get into a situation where you've got. Uh, a hot heel and a hot baby face, but the program itself is is turning them, and you don't want to turn them. But then you reach a point where that audience isn't going to let that heel be booed anymore. Mm-hmm. So you go there, and they're not cheering your damn baby face. So go ahead and and go after it. So I, I use Bret Hart and Steve Austin as an example, right? Where Steve left, Steve came back as a stone-cold heel, pun intended, and all of a sudden, the audience was behind him because they could feel... He wasn't lying about anything that he said. Right. He was just telling it straight, and there was a segment of the audience that kind of said, you know what, yeah, Brett is the chosen one. Brett is the company guy. Brett is all this, and, and... the more you hurt Brett reinforce that, it's kind of like, yeah, fuck you, Brett. I like Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you how do you campaign for something like that? Like when, you, when you're dealing with a Vince McMahon, do you campaign like, okay, look, how about we just do this? Do you have to go baby steps? Like let's just try this at WrestleMania and see where it goes, or do you go, Vince, here's the big picture. I see the big picture. Let's try some of these steps to see if we can get to my big picture. Both. I, there's there's a lot of situations where we pitch big, sweeping, just simple things like uh, Shawn Michaels is a baby face. That little son of a bitch will never be a baby face <laughs> of my company. And he didn't see it. And then after WrestleMania 11, Vince gets in the car and says, God damn it, guys, we have a baby face on our hands. Why am the only, I'm the only one that sees this? <laughs> and 
Pat and I are looking at each other going, we were told never to bring that idea up ever again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, it was, it's crazy. Right. But I just, God, Pat especially, and Pat was probably the first one that actually made the statement, I could see Shawn Michaels as WWF champion. And he, did he get his head torn off for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Vince didn't see Sean as the WWF champion at that time. In particular, he didn't see Sean as a babyface. So, but there, there was an undercurrent there that here you got a guy that is going out stealing the show every night with whoever he worked with, and the audience after a while begins to respect him. Right. So it was... Sean was doing that every night. It's it's kind of like, you know, even Bret Hart, who no matter who Bret was in the ring with, Bret was going to get his match out of him, and Bret was going to get that match over no matter what he had to do. How does and they expect that? How does Sean then go from somebody from somebody who isn't viewed as a world champion caliber talent to just a guy who's not going to get that spot to somebody who from an outsider's perspective from somebody who's looking in it seemed like towards the end of that first run he could literally do whatever he wanted meaning he didn't he was invincible he could say well I'm going to go home for a while while I'm injured okay well once you come back we're still going to make you the biggest star in the world and and you can not show up for this and not show up for that like he seemed to be you know the 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 apple of Vince McMahon's eye and I can understand why I mean he was the best guy on the roster but but how does he go from he'll never be champion to that guy is my most valuable talent and he can do whatever he wants talent and balls yeah he had the balls to say it every night and to say it to Vince to be defiant uh, to the rest of the talent, to stand up for himself and his friends. A lot of people would call that going against the grain and selfish. But Vince looked at it as he had balls. And after a while, you couldn't deny that he was that good. So is that the secret? Because people talk about the fact that, that Vince enjoys being challenged. That's what people say. But if you do it the wrong way, he hates it. If you challenge a Vince McMahon... Is it a situation where if you back it up with a performance, if you back it up with audience reaction, with whatever it is that you back it up with, then it's okay. But if you can't back that up, you're you're Dunsky? In a way, yes. And if you're that good and you go out and prove it every night, then it's kind of hard. You can't deny talent, and the cream will always rise to the top. But if all you ever do is bitch and moan and it's everybody else's fault, then that gets tiresome and you're not going to get the correct response from that. And Vince would much rather have someone challenge him and frankly be right than than not challenge him at all. And, but I I look back and, and Vince said this to me one time when we were, it was just the two of us and somebody had made a comment about, Oh, Bruce is a kiss ass, this, that, and the other thing. And he just found that so amusing because <laughs> if there were two people that butted heads more, that, well, there weren't two people that butted heads more than Vince and I did. Uh-huh. However, 
when after we butted heads and we would fight and we would claw and and it wasn't pretty. As a matter of fact, in my later years, uh, was chastised many times for not being pretty. <laughs> but but that exercise that we did and and the fuck you fuck you. In my opinion, and and I, it resulted in some pretty good shit, uh, especially when it was just the three of us, me, Vince, and Pat. And, but once we all agreed, and once Vince made that decision, Vince is the guy that made the decision then, and he's the guy that makes the decision now. Mm -hmm. Once he made that decision, we were all on board. Right. You want to call that a kiss ass, and I was kiss ass. However, I fought tooth and nail. Up until the point that it's okay, it's not cutting time, it's decision time, and there's one guy, the buck stops at Vince. Right. There's right. one guy that makes that decision. Once he makes that decision, I'm not going to go undermine him and say, hey, you know, I pitched this for you, but the old man over here, <laughs> right. uh, you really wanted to do this. That that gets no one, that doesn't do anything for anyone. Right. So... I fought like hell, and the I, I dare say that a big part of, of my longevity was the fact that I didn't agree with Vince most of the time. Well, I, I want to get to that, but before we leave Shawn Michaels, just a question that was I, it just occurred to me because I was thinking about it a month or so ago. Were you there at Survivor Series 96? I was there, yeah. Um, I don't remember what the hell it is off the it, top of my head. <laughs> it was at the it was at the garden, and it was Shawn Michaels versus Sid. And I was watching it, and it's the match. Oh where yeah, Shawn was a good guy, but he got booed out of the building, and Sid ended up winning the title. That was when he you know hit Jose Lothario and all that. But what I found interesting was that when you watch now, and John Cena or Roman Reigns or any of those guys are getting booed. They're either not reacting to it or like John Cena will say, you know what, you guys have freedom of speech and good for you, you know, react however you want. And that's fine. But I was like taken aback because I didn't pick up on it at the time, but I was watching Shawn Michaels and he's visibly angry. Like he's not doing good guy things anymore because he's getting booed and he starts acting like a bad guy because that's what he's getting hit with. He's spitting on the fans. He's yelling back in their face. If you're and, and not not necessarily specific to that situation, but if you're sitting there and a guy's been assigned you're going to be a good guy, and he's getting booed and he starts reacting to those boos as it combatively, instead of being like a good guy, how are you reacting? How's how's the collective you reacting? It depends on the situation, and it depends on. I mean, it really just. That's it. It depends on the situation and how they, they handle it. That particular instance, the crowd's booing, the sh- and they were angrily booing him. Yes. It wasn't a, um, you know, what, I don't, what are the chance they do with Cena? Uh, go John Cena. Cena sucks. Right. W- whatever they do. That is almost a playful boo Cena. It's, it's cool to boo Cena. Yes. The stuff what you're talking about in the garden in particular for that show was more of a fuck you, Sean. Right. We want Sid. Mm-hmm. And the baby face, Sean, and Sean Michaels, the human being at that time, was like, all right, you want you want bad guy, Sean? I'll give you bad guy, Sean. Right. And then you fast forward two months, and we had super baby face, Sean, in San Antonio. 
That's <laughs> true. That's true. So it worked. Not everybody can pull that off. Yeah. Bret Hart could pull that off as well. Bret did the same thing in Canada. He was a hero, but in the States, he was a heel. Yeah. Let me ask you about uh, uh, about the creative process because uh, how did, how how and maybe why I don't know does the does the way that you guys work out storylines, do TV, figure out stuff? How does that evolve from you, Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon, sitting by the pool and just doing what ifs, as you talk about all the time, into what it was towards the end of your tenure there, which is, I would assume, a lot more corporate, a lot more opinions, a lot more cooks in the kitchen. Well, unfortunately, it's that's kind of it. it. It became it became very corporate, and a lot of people from outside of the industry talking about, well, hey, here's how it's done in Hollywood, and here's how it's done here, and here's how it's done there, and that's cool. But we weren't there, <laughs> you know. Right. They had never been where we were, and I dare say that the the quagmire is with their 20 writers or 30 writers, however many they have, and it's an absurd amount, the process still comes down to one guy sitting at the table on a Monday afternoon and saying yay or nay. Right. They can work 20 of them, 30 of them, 50 of them, can work their asses off and write some great shit all week long depending upon what mood and who's pitching what on that afternoon right before the show goes live that's all that matters so with with all of that in place you know there there were there was a hollywood guy that was put in charge shortly after i left uh, real nice guy and we 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 got together. I can't remember his name, but we compared war stories, if you will. Uh-huh. And absolutely nothing had changed with all, <laughs> with all of his Hollywood expertise. I mean, the guy, the guy was a showrunner and a top notch showrunner, a, a Hollywood expert. But it all came down to Vince's whim at the last minute and his feel. And people can knock that and and bitch about it all they want. Um, he's got a pretty good track record. Yeah, I mean, I kind of love that. Like, I love the idea of knowing because I feel like if if I had if it was my sandbox, I would probably want to be able to just say, you know what? I just realized. I know we start in twenty minutes. I'm going to change this. No, I like this. No, I like that. But if I were a showrunner or if I were coming from Hollywood, that would drive me insane. I'm, I'm from the wrestling business. It drove me insane. But, <laughs> but you get used to it. Uh-huh. And, you know, after after a while, you get used to it. And you either have to – you either roll with the punches or you get run over. Right. right. And for the most part, I think a lot of the newbies into that world get run over. And that's why there's such a high turnover. They should listen to your podcast and pick up some <laughs> – this is this is how it might be. Uh, one of the, I, I would say – for, and I don't know. Weird things stick with me. I, you know, I listen to your podcast regularly, and the thing that has stuck with me, and the thing that I want, like 
a three-hour episode on just this, like I don't feel like this has been covered nearly enough, is the concept of Sheik Tugboat. <laughs> like it blew my mind when I'm sitting here and I'm hearing you and Conrad and you guys are talking about the plans for WrestleMania 7, which is, of course, Hogan Slaughter. And before Slaughter became, like, you know, the biggest bad guy in the world, the plan was to take the character Tugboat and have him be some kind of Iraqi sympathizer and just do... Was the name really going to be Sheik Tugboat, or was that like a, this is just what we're using right now as we loosely talk about it? That's what it was all, you know, he was always referred to as, as Sheik Tugboat, but I'm sure <laughs> that had it actually happened, they probably would have given him a... An Iraqi type name. Yeah. Could, uh, do you do? You, do you think in those terms? Like what? What would it have done to? You talk about a butterfly effect. If the oh. if if the main event of of that WrestleMania, which is already like that's that's the WrestleMania where people start talking about like oh you know they couldn't sell tickets. That's what that's the WrestleMania where people start to question what's going on with the business. If that had been headlined by that match. Well, and you also have to understand that that match was pitched in the summer prior to. Mm -hmm. So that's really, obviously we had our conflicts with, with Iraq at that time, but it wasn't, it hadn't escalated to war. It hadn't escalated at the pace that it did probably, you know, November on. Right. So, it was a different feel. It was more of a traditional old time American hero versus the Iraqi sympathizer bad guy that had worked so many times before. You're looking for a giant version of Boris Zukov. Just the uh, e evil foreign guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Now, at any point, is this something <clears throat> because it's so early? Is that something that you share with Tugboat? Do you go and say, look, this is kind of what we're headed with you, just so you know, you know, this is what we want to do with you because it's a morale booster or whatever reason you might have? I didn't. I don't know if Vince or Pat did at the time. And and, it, and, it, and at the time, I was on the television side. Mm -hmm. So I, I was getting stuff as, hey, here's here's what we're doing. Here's what we're thinking about going. What do you think? And I didn't think a lot of it. <laughs> I just, I didn't care for the tugboat character. Uh, it was, it was a little too cartoony to be taken seriously. Here you had this big badass guy in Fred Ottman who was huge and just could have been a big, mean, nasty guy. But the tugboat gimmick was too kind of howdy doody for me, I guess. Right, and I mean, I think Typhoon worked. Oh, yeah, you know, what I mean, I thought it worked it pretty was, good. It was a little nastier, right? But, doot doot. <laughs> you know, it was kind of <laughs> yeah. eh. just, even even in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, whatever it was, it just didn't work. Yeah, plus that was when like you were going through that whole string of well, he's the second biggest guy on the roster because. He's Hulk Hogan's best friend storyline. Like, whoever right. was Hulk Hogan's storyline best friend is like, well, he's the biggest good guy, too, because Hogan hangs out with him. Like, that's... Exactly. <laughs> that's the entire story. But it's just like, 
boggles my mind just thinking about like history. You go from potentially you're getting the Hulk Hogan WrestleMania headline mass match to okay, that didn't work out, but you do get to be the Shockmaster. And it's like everything everything works out the way it works out, I suppose. Exactly. As I often say, sometimes that damn bell has to ring. <laughs> and it screws everything up. The best laid plans in the world. Then, uh oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> How did that? Which is you also talked a, a lot about the gobbledygooker uh, on the on the show that you did about that Survivor series. And one of the things that tickled me was uh, talking about Vince McMahon's reaction to that, and where some might assume that he's this, you know brooding guy that's my way or the highway and everything's got to work as opposed to the guy that you described that's acknowledging ha 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 he's laughing because it's doing poorly like he's having a good time watching it bomb which I think is kind of beautiful I mean a comedian a a seasoned comedian if you talk to a really seasoned New York comedians that get in front of crowds every night after years and years there is there, they get a sick pleasure out of bombing in front of an audience, and they're like, "Oh, you don't like this material? Well, I'm going to keep going with it." You know what I mean? And just watching the audience be silent, and it seems like, at least in that instance, and I don't know if other instances where stuff just falls completely flat, Vince kind of thinks it's funny. You got to laugh at it. Yeah, I mean, not to laugh at it, then you're ignorant. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You, you could not ignore. They shit on it. <laughs> I mean, they just shit all over the gobbledygooker. Okerlund is just trying everything under the sun to end it. And Hector, bless his heart, is, is working his ass off. He can't see a thing in the suit, and he's trying everything, and they're not buying any of it. So... Yeah, I mean, you can either laugh at it or lie to yourself. Right, or yeah, but but he, does 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 it happen more often that that there's screaming and cursing and stuff getting thrown because something doesn't work, or is it ah let's just laugh this off and try the next thing? It depends on the situation. If it if it's a major deal, then yeah, there's there's going to be some. Uh, some adult language and uh, maybe some glasses and headsets thrown and things like that. But um, for the most, you know, it, it really depends on the situation. So when when WWE, when, I, I'll give you I'll give you another example of a ha 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 moment. Yes, please do. Was Dino Bravo? Uh-huh. Uh USA special, the very first Royal Rumble. Dino Bravo was going to set the world bench press record of seven hundred pounds or whatever it was. Now, Dino's a strong guy, mm-hmm. legit strong guy. And guys in the gym were saying Dino was doing uh, like 650-pound bench presses and things of this nature. So came up with the idea of doing the the 712-pound, whatever the hell it was, bench press. And they were they were gimmick weights on the deal and so on and so forth. So there was probably legit 370 pounds, maybe 350, 370 in that area of actual weight on there. So it's, I don't give a shit who you are. That's a hell of a feat. Yeah. 
So it was about half the weight that, that we said it was. And Dino couldn't do it. <laughs> and Vince is live on the air and laughed his ass. <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> You know, and we're sitting there, we're trying, you know, we're, we're thinking, oh, my God, we got to cover this. we got to cover it. And Vince is like, he couldn't do it. <laughs> he couldn't do it. Oh, my. And it's like, well, I guess, I guess we're going to go with it. Yeah. And, but you have to. It, it's some of those things. You just kind of have to go with it. Can you think of one? I know I'm putting you on the spot off the top of your head where it was uh, profanities and, and things being thrown. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I think of a lot of those. <laughs> but uh I think, you know, one in particular was when Linda McMahon uh got tombstone by Kane on the stage mm-hmm. and the director didn't didn't cut the way that he was supposed to cut it. And that resulted in some shit being thrown and some but there, I mean, good God, that's too many to list. That, that yeah. would be on a nightly basis most times. So that 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 sounds more like an issue of he feels like there's incompetence as opposed to it's just a guy performing and it really is not working for him. It's fun. It's not fun seeing a guy who's bad at their job, but it's really fun watching a guy who's performing die in front of an audience. You know, it's just a fun thing to see. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, in a sick kind of way. But yeah, it, it takes it takes those of us that are sick in the head. Yeah, you know a little bit, and and have that. You talk about that New York comedic feel that you kind of enjoy enjoy watching someone fail. Oh yeah, <laughs> Pat, Pat Patterson is the worst. I mean, Pat would sit there, and if some guy would bomb, he would laugh his ass off. <laughs> It was the shits! (laughs) You can't help it. And then when they get backstage, like feeling all bad about themselves, is somebody like Pat Patterson going to be there to let them know that it was terrible what what just happened? Oh, sure. (laughs) Of course. And and there's time, you know, I was was notorious for um, guys, it's live. We're the only ones that you know really knows what was supposed to happen. Right. The audience doesn't know you screwed up, and there you know there would be times when guys would come back and I would start with the, God damn it, remember man, you know I was like fuck you, let's hide, Bruce. It was the shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. we know it was the shit. They don't know it was the shit. So hey, it was shit, but. <laughs> Yeah, you but, don't really know it was supposed to be better. Right, right, yeah, yeah. They don't know. Only you know how bad you were. Yeah. I mean, I know. Right. Everybody up here knows. <laughs> but there was a guy out there that didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one guy in the front row. You had him fooled. He thinks you're great. Uh, so you are you come into WWE, WWF. You're, you're in your uh, early to mid-20s. 24. 24 years old. You're... you're just like a jack of all trades, you end up in TV production. You're doing this stuff. How do you end up in that inner circle, especially when the inner circle was as tight as it was? You're talking about a three-person inner circle: Vince, Pat Patterson, you. Well, 
when I first came in, it was just Vince and Pat. And then later on, they brought JJ into that mix. But I was there before JJ came in. And Joel Watts and I came up at the same time. And, and we both came from uh, UWF Mid-South. It was, I don't want to say it was luck, because we bust our ass. But I think that we had a decent rapport. I didn't I didn't know better than to not be like I had been with everybody else I'd worked with. And I'd just come off working with Ken Mantell and Eddie Gilbert on creative and being able to tell each other, no, that was the shits, or hey, what do you think about this? And so that's the way I was because that's how I was brought up. Right. And that's how I was with them because I didn't look at it as it, this is, I, I'll say this. I was going to say this for the show this week, but I'll, I'll go ahead and give you this first of an observation that I made of myself the other day. When I started in 1987, I was 24 years old and Vince McMahon was always just Vince to me. He was never Mr. McMahon. So, but growing up, Paul Bosch was Mr. Bosch to me. Huh. And when now, I went up with Vince, Vince was was adamant that it's Vince, pal. That he was always just Vince to me. I never it was never, hey, this is Mr. McMahon or Mr. McMahon, can I ask you questions? Hey Vince. And there was a a comfort level there, and I maybe because I wasn't intimidated and I, I wasn't this oh my god you know I'm, I was inside there were times where I would pinch myself wondering if this is real or not but it wasn't a oh holy shit this is Vince McMahon it was it was just Vince do you feel like that level of comfort was there because you didn't necessarily grow up with his stuff or was it there because you just get weirdly too comfortable too quick in situations and that one panned out for you oh, I think it was lack of brains on my part but <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know better right and and he made it's funny Vince is a very intimidating guy and he'll continually I'm not god damn it I hate that but he's a very intimidating guy but he was so quick to, to put me at ease that I never felt that way. There, and there, don't get me wrong. There were definitely many, many times that I was intimidated by Vince, but for the most part, it was, he was, he was good to me. And, and he, he allowed me to express myself how I knew. And he listened to me. I mean, think about it. Here, here was a guy with a multimillion dollar company at the time in the largest market in the world, expanding, doing everything he was doing, just put 93,000 people in Pontiac. And he's asking a 24-year-old kid, what do you think? In listening to my shit. Right. So, well, that's extremely humbling. That's, that's a heady trip, especially for a fat kid, you know, from Houston, Texas, living in Connecticut. 
that was a heady trip. And um, there, there were times my ego got out of control and you, you get to thinking that uh, you're more than you are, especially when, when you're dealing with the, the level of people you're dealing with and, and stuff. I used to, uh, real quick Donald Trump story. In 1988 and 89, we did WrestleMania at uh, Trump. And Donald Trump hated to shake hands. So every time I would see him, I would stick my hand in his gut and make him shake my hand. <laughs> you know, I'm a 24, 25-year-old kid. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> but I thought it was funny. Right, right. And you, and because, you know, you're Vince's kid, you're the right-hand guy over here. You could, it's kind of, if it's his show, it's your show. Yeah. And, and you, can, you can have fun with whoever you want to have fun with. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's there was that head play there, but I, yeah, that's got think... that's, that's got to be dangerous when you leave WWE, and even as you get older, because other places that you go, what I maybe not so much TNA because you were that was only recently, and you do have a certain experience at this point. But like when you leave the first time, you go to GWF, whatever you do, like I would imagine if you pitch ideas to somebody. After you've pitched to Vince McMahon and this person doesn't listen to you, you're looking at them like, you idiot. Do you know who listens to me? You should be – everything that comes out of my mouth is, <laughs> is gold, is gold. Well, that's only because it's true. <laughs> right. But, no, I, I, had it, I had it good in GWF because I was working with Eddie Gilbert who I had worked with right. years before. And Eddie and I were friends and Eddie and I had – that same relationship where we could tell each other something sucked. Right. And so I was, I was very fortunate with uh, the people that I had the privilege of working with. And I can't think of probably with the except, you know, Bill Watts wasn't as receptive, although Bill was receptive. Bill was very receptive to ideas mm -hmm. and Bill would listen. But when Bill wanted it his way and, you know, when he's the keeper of the store, he gets it his way. No different than Vince. So did you never get to a point where you wanted to be the keeper of a, of a store? You know what I mean? Like, what, like because sometimes, you know, you always see that. Somebody is this guy who's there giving ideas to the guy who's in charge and who's trusted by the guy who's in charge. And eventually he starts to think, and maybe this was a little bit of what why Vince Russo ends up going to WCW in 2000, 2001, whenever it was, because you start to think – well, I could do this by myself. This is all my ideas. This is all. I should be the keeper of the keys. I think that at some point you have to view yourself in a realistic, in a, in a realistic level. And while I do believe that, hey, I, I could have done this, I could have done that. The fact that Vince still approved everything, and that goes for Russo and everybody else that has been in that position that you have, you have to temper it. You have to look at the reality of the situation and where, where you fit into that puzzle. And I, I fit in very good as a foil to Vince McMahon. Yeah. I fit in very good in that role and I enjoyed the hell out of doing that without having the responsibility of, of everybody on my head. Right. So it, right. it's it's just the reality of it. Do I think that I could have done it? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't have been in the position if, if I didn't think that. But 
at the same time, looking at all of the tools that you have to work with, you would have to say, you would have to have everything else in place. You would have to have those millions of dollars and those television contracts and those connections to be able to put it all together. What do you miss about uh, about the days with, uh, specifically with WWF, WWE? Wow. Uh, just a creative experience in working with talent. I've always loved working and shaping young, green talent. Mm-hmm. Just raw talent. And, and being able to take I hate to say nothing, but but taking nothing and shaping it into something or taking something and making it something brand new. Uh, I really I really love the journey with JBL. I love the journey with Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Guys like that. Uh, Steve Austin. Who was the last guy for you in WWE at at the end of your tenure? Who was the last guy that you felt like? whether they came from nothing or we reinvented them that you were able to get your hands on and help mold and really get off on the last, the last one that you're like, yep, that was, that was, that was it. Probably, you know, Cena JBL in that time frame, being yeah. able to take that JBL character and, and everything that they had done with Bradshaw up until that point, I say they, we, they, and, molding that JBL character. That that was a lot of fun. Taking John Cena, who was the nobody, the prototype, and making him into a bonafide megastar. Was there ever a thought at the time early in John Cena, like getting his when when he was doing the JBL stuff, when he was getting his first title and stuff, was there a thought this is gonna be our next Hogan level talent, or was it just this guy's gonna be the top of the heap for the roster that we have? I would say a couple of years in, yes. Yeah. At first, it was more of a, this is going to be a top guy. He's going to make it. He's going to do great for us. Once he got into that position and he excelled and he became the guy. Are, and are, there was no harder working guy on the roster. Yeah, I think that's obvious even just, if you pay attention to the world of wrestling i don't think that's debatable whatsoever was it was there a winning over period with him or was he one of the guys from the beginning that was no we're gonna we're gonna see what he can do it was no it was definitely we're gonna see what you what he can do because john came in and john was viewed as a muscle guy at a time when the muscle guys were kind of out but Cena was also the kind of guy that when John got his contract, he called me and talked about how he had gotten a football scholarship to Springfield uh, College in Springfield, Mass., I believe, and that his dad was more proud of him getting the WWF contract than he was for his football scholarship. (laughs) But John was... When he got his contract and he immediately went and took a drug test, observed, and passed with flying colors, and was always that the first guy, you know, first guy there, last guy to leave. Hungry for knowledge, um, didn't expect everything, anything, took, took what he wanted, 
and fought hard for it. So that's, you know, there are guys that, that come in and feel, well, I deserve that. John didn't feel like he deserved anything. But whatever, anytime you gave him rope, he was going to go out and he was going to climb that son of a bitch and, yeah. and do a good job. So have you felt like now that you're, you're, a, you're a star in the podcasting huh. world, have you, <coughs> have you warmed up to the, to the world of internet wrestling? I mean, that's, you know, we, we, there are certain names that we don't say, I know from the podcast based on, uh, you know, uh, uh, dirt sheets and websites and things like that. Have you, have you warmed up to the fact that you're, you're a, a figure in that world now? Oh, stop. <laughs> I'll never be Sam Roberts. Come on. Um, no, it, it blows my mind. And, and I, I give all the credit to Conrad because we were sitting at Conrad's house one night. Now I, I was telling him a story about the radicals and what, what really took place. And, he couldn't have been less interested when we started talking about it. And it, when I finished the story, he looks at me and says, Oh my God, what you just did. That's a fucking podcast. And I was like, yeah, well, that's one of those things you can chalk up to never going to happen. <laughs> and he kept on me. Why not bros? God, your stories, man, it would be a podcast and this, that, and the other thing. And he was already doing a successful podcast with Flair. And I said, well, the only way I'd do it is if you did it with me. And we threw it out there, and, and they, they bit. And MLW was, was interested in the thing. But I didn't want to do the, the interview thing yeah. because – and strictly out of laziness on my part. I didn't want to have to try and find 52 guests a year. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And I started thinking, I've, I've been in the business for, it'll be 44 years in March. Wow. And I said, you know, I've got enough stories and enough, you know, history that I got at least a few years of <laughs> stories and shit that, that I can tell and, and people that I can talk about and different characters. And one of the things that hit me was whenever I would meet people, they would ask me, hey, what happened when you know this happened? Or what happened when this happened? And we adopted that theme for the podcast. And Conrad does an incredible job of research ad nauseum, as wrong as it may be most of the time. <laughs> he does a great job of research, and, and he busts his ass going that extra mile to find shit that's going to piss me off or to to dig out that story that's underneath there. And we just approached it in a completely different way. And then, you know, out of the blue, he's like, what if we did a poll? What if, you know, rather than us decide what the topic is, what if we did a poll on Twitter? And that's exploded. We let we let the audience decide what the topic is going to be on Sunday and Monday. They can vote on our Twitter at Pritchard Show, and whatever wins, that topic is what we do that Friday. Yeah. 
Well, so the audience is involved, and, and, and we're very interactive on Twitter. And that's another thing that he's got me to do, which I hated to do. I didn't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i promoted the podcast on this podcast. Because, I, I mean, to me, I come from a radio world where it is competitive, but I feel like in podcasting, that's not really a threat because you could just download as many as you want and listen whenever you want. And, and if you like a podcast, you should say it. Although I have gotten tweets from people that have gone, uh, hey, Sam, I took your advice. I downloaded something to wrestle with, and now it's the only podcast I listen to, so that was stupid. <laughs> and I go, well, well, thank you for that. <laughs> well, so no. be it. Then, <laughs> then go over there. What are you going to do? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the only wrestling. I, I don't listen to wrestling podcasts because I do a wrestling podcast. It just gets to be too much. And so I put yours on just being like, okay, let me. I just like to see what's out there, you know, and just get a feel right. for what people are doing. And it's the first podcast in God knows how long that I go, okay, I'm just going to hit the interesting topics. And I start listening to the interesting ones and go, you know what? I'm going to go back to the first one and I'm just going to start going through them. And and I think well, it's great. You. And you guys are doing a great job and I recommend it to everybody. And uh, I could talk to you for several more hours, but we can save it. You'll have to come back on the show. I would um, I would be happy to and, and you know going even to the topic of the podcast because we do shout outs at the beginning and and we always shout out you because you're one of the few that that I do sample and I throw a shout out to Jim Ross and Steve because they're my friends um, Jericho because it's not it is a competition but at the same time if you're successful there's more people listening to podcasts yes. That yes. are going to hear about all of us that are then going to say, what else is out there like this? Yeah. What else can I get my hands on? And I do this this crazy thing. Uh, ProWrestlingTees.com mm-hmm. forward slash Bruce Pritchard where you can get my shirts. And, and we've got a variety of shirts. But when people order one of my shirts, I call them. On the phone? On the phone. And I say thank you. It takes two minutes. They took the time to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Bruce Pritchard, not a rib, <laughs> and and bought a t-shirt. It takes me two minutes. I get an email. It gives me their information. And I pick up the phone and I say, hey, just want to say thank you. Are you enjoying the podcast? And the feedback I get from them, and, and for the most part, people are, are very respectful and very nice, and, and it's over in two minutes. Because right. they, they're like, oh, my God, he's, he's actually really calling me. But I get people from time to time, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, hell, yeah. I'm on the phone. We talk. I, I, I sat on the phone with a kid uh, the other night from New York right after the Giants lost, within <laughs> two minutes after the Giants lost. And he was a Giants fan. He said, oh, my team just lost. I said, ha-ha, my team won. <laughs> um, and we, we talked about football for a couple minutes. Uh-huh. But – that has that has exploded, but it's given me an insight to my listeners yeah. that do take the time to support the show and, and buy a shirt. And I get that I get that feedback, and, and I go to Twitter, I listen to what they're saying, and, and I try to respond to as many as I can. I miss a lot because I'm old and I screw up. I'll get a, a call from Conrad saying, "You just tweeted out, yes, you didn't <laughs> tag anything." Old men shouldn't tweet. <laughs> oh, fuck, what did I tweet yes to? <laughs> try to go back and try to find it. But 
all of that to say that we're, we're all in it together. And, and like I said, if I'm successful and I can help you out, I think it helps everybody. And there's no reason to, to go out and knock shit because when you knock it and give people a reason to, to go somewhere else, that's not good for you. No. But if you, you want to talk about it and if we can grow that podcast world, um, Steve Austin told me this too. He's, he's like, God damn kid, you know what to do. Fuck, promote yourself. There's a shit. He goes, I'm doing the shit. You showed me what to do a long time ago. But nobody showed Steve how to promote himself. Mm -hmm. Steve has always known how to promote himself. And he does the same thing. It's, he's like, fuck, take, you know, there's enough for all of us. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. And that's amazing, by the way, to hear from somebody like Steve, who if he wanted, he could have it all. He could just, if he didn't want, he didn't have to be exactly. given. Exactly. He's and, on top of the heat. Yeah. 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 And he's a, uh, uh, it's, it's a good example for people, man. Well, uh, it's very, very flattering that you would, uh, put me in the, in the category of people that you would sample. And I appreciate you coming on the show and you'll have to do it again. And, uh, yeah, thanks, man. And, well, and, it's an honor that you asked, and I, I definitely appreciate it. And I'd be happy to come back any time. Well, you're doing the big live show, WrestleMania weekend, correct? I am at Back Booth in Orlando. We're going to do it on April the 1st, which is the Saturday night before WrestleMania. And it's going to be about 1130. We're going to do it right after NXT. And NXT is taking place at the Amway Arena about two blocks away. I think it's still Amway Arena. Um, about two blocks away, and we're going to wait and go after that at 1130. You can get tickets at notarib.com. <laughs> and uh, that's not a rib either, notarib.com to get tickets. But it's going to be a blast. We're, we're not going to record it, and Conrad will be drinking. So who knows what the hell is going to happen. But uh, it's our first live one, and we're planning on doing uh, some more live shows around the, the major events. As time progresses. Very cool. Well, hopefully if I'm down there, I'll get a chance to stop by. Uh, you better. I will. I will. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Sam. Here is Sam Roberts. Oh, that was so much fun. Uh, he gave you all his plugs. He downloaded his podcast. He buys his T-shirt. But that was Bruce Pritchard. I'm sure that we will have him back at some point here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, you know... We also, we, we talked to the guests, but I want to talk about everything that's happened this week in the world of, of, of pro wrestling. Not just WWE, but in, in, I guess mainly WWE, but as it pertains to the universe around it. You know, a lot of stuff floating around. Not just what happened on Raw and SmackDown, but we're starting to get a very clear picture of the Royal Rumble, how it leads into WrestleMania. You're talking about new talent. I, I love, I, 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 not, and we don't know what's going to happen with it. But I'm really enjoying that a lot of it, I think, is because of the way AJ Styles came into WWE at this time last year. All the rumors surrounding Kenny Omega and the fact that maybe if this were two years ago, we'd kind of brush it off and say, nah, it's not really, it doesn't really happen that way. But now that we've seen it, we know it does. Well, I was so excited to do the state of wrestling this week. I said, I need somebody to keep me in line, somebody to keep me in check, somebody that you uh, long-time listeners of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast have some respect for. So I pulled Katie Linendahl right out of the dugout. She's been sitting in there saying, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. 
and today was the day. Katie Linendahl joins me on the State of Wrestling. Let's get right into it. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. State of Wrestling time, and let's welcome her back. It's not really at long last because she was here like a couple weeks ago, but before that one, it was at long last. I'd love to that people aren't listening every week, obviously, because I'm getting tweets like, when are you going to have Katie back on the show? And I was like, she was on two weeks ago. Yeah, keep up, people. It's a work in progress. Well, yeah, it's the new Katie Linendahl. Welcome. Thanks. What a week. Wow. What a week in wrestling. Well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult enough keeping up with everything WWE is putting out. I had this vision. That the Siberian portal? That wasn't the vision. Last night, that like, or this morning, when I woke up, it was like in that haze. The Osirian portal. <laughs> the Osirian portal. It was, like, it was like this haze of like, you know when you wake up and ideas are kind of floating in your head, but you're not awake awake? Yeah, and they, at, at that time, they seem to be good ideas, and they're actually awful when well, you wake up later, later, later. This was a good idea. Oh, okay, go ahead. I was just like kind of blurry-eyed looking at my phone, and I had fallen asleep before 205 Live ended. Mm-hmm. And there was a thing on it that said something about Rich Swan. And so I was like, oh, cool, because I love Rich Swan. But, you do. That's but, true. Um, I was like, oh, and I put my phone back down, and I was kind of stirring, and I was like, I hope he's in the Royal Rumble. And the alert said that at the Royal Rumble, Rich Swan, as we found out on 205 Live, mm-hmm. is going to be defending the Cruiserweight title against Neville, which is great because it makes sense in the story with Neville, and I like it, and that's all good. But all day now, I've been obsessed with the idea that – and I talked about it a lot on the podcast while you were gone, Katie, that the key to success in this cruiserweight division, I think that they've made huge strides in familiarizing the audience with the characters. I think that the basic WWE TV audience knows who Rich Swan is, Brian Kendrick, Neville, obviously, uh, uh, TJ Perkins. You know, it's not like as dead as it used to be. I think even Drew Gulak, people are becoming aware of him, whereas before they would show up on Raw – and nobody would know who they are. Um, you know, I think Cedric Alexander pairing him with Alicia Fox has been great. Uh, the promo time they're giving Gnome Dar, or I think Dar Gnome, Dar Gnome. as he's known in some circles, mm-hmm. has been great. I still am against the changing of the ring, but I, don't, I think I'm losing that battle. The purple is unnecessary. But the last step that they need to do with this Cruiserweight division is to better infuse it with the main roster. I think... The person that they've done the best with in a short period of time is Gentleman Jack Gallagher. Because you watch Raw and you're interested in like the thing that they did with the, with the duel, the gentleman's duel between him and Davari, uh, uh, using the umbrella. Like He, I, I think it's obvious that there is energy behind him. And they're doing right by him. And they're making it so that he's a character that you're intrigued by and I get that, like, the goal is to have you turn on 205 Live. But if you're going to have them be a part of Raw, then I think it has to still, it still needs to feel more like a part of the show as opposed to a show within a show. And I still think that you need to do a better job of including cruiserweights and non-cruiserweights and intertwining them and storylines. And they did it with Alicia Fox, and they did it a little bit in that promo I think last week with Jack Gallagher and New Day. But I think the first step to that is putting some of the cruiserweights in the Royal Rumble. 
I think the idea being that the Royal Rumble is a showcase of everything WWE is becoming. Maybe, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to whoever wins the UK tournament this weekend. Put them in the Royal Rumble. So all of a sudden, you've got representatives from Raw, from SmackDown, from the Cruiserweight division, from the UK tournament, from uh, legends like Goldberg and Undertaker. You know, you've got everything that is encompassed within the WWE. I think that, that is what the Royal Rumble should be about this year. Show The Royal Rumble match, showcasing WWE and... While I'd be happy with a Jack Gallagher or a Drew Gulak, very happy, popping up in the Royal Rumble, um, I think you need Rich Swan as the Cruiserweight champion to sit there and say, I think it's more valuable to have Rich Swan say, I'm the Cruiserweight champion, but I'm also going to be the world champion. Because it's not, or the universal champion, because it's not the world heavyweight champion. It's not the universal heavyweight champion. It's not weight classed which means the cruiserweights are eligible for it. So the idea of Rich Swan wanting both titles, I think all of a sudden creates this new dynamic for the cruiserweights, and I think that that is more uh, beneficial to that division than having the title match at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I think that makes a ton of sense, and I think the Royal Rumble is the perfect place to start sprinkling them in, because I agree with you. I think it's a little too siloed right now. Right. Mix them in, but it also kind of has that feel with, like, their style of wrestling, it's like throwing Kofi in a ladder match. Like, if you're going to throw the cruiserweights in a rumble, that's the place to do it. You're going to make it interesting. It yeah. Yes. Do you think we'll still have a Kofi spot in the Royal Rumble See, this year? It, it's a different Kofi mm, Kingston. It is. And also, as you were saying that, I, I, re, I recall the, probably the biggest takeaway from the rumble, it, agree with me or not, I think the rumble, you realize how quickly all those spots go. I feel like we do that every year. Well, I was... Cause I'm always rooting for Tatanka to come in. Right. And it's like those spots are gone. And you're Because you talk about the big names like the, the you know, the legacy, the Hall yeah. of Famers, then the Goldbergs come back in. Dude, you're running out of, of places 100%. here. 100%. Especially you got, as I said, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I know that people are a little critical of it because it's like, we don't need to celebrate the old guys. The Undertaker's obviously going to win the Royal Rumble. But I just, thought Shawn Michaels was going to get a spot in there, to be honest. I thought, I thought it was so close. Yeah, I thought that's what he was hinting at. And then he was just like, but I'm going to watch from the outside. I was like, well, just But I have it. a movie. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. Cool. Um, we'll talk about that segment. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited at the idea of Brock and Goldberg and Undertaker all being in this How thing. How could you not be? I mean, those are because it's like, iconic. You can't say, because, sure, well, obviously, The Undertaker is going to win, and then John Cena is going to beat AJ Styles, and then you're going to have your John Cena-Undertaker match. Yeah, that very well could happen. And yeah, that's pretty obvious. But what if we end up in a scenario where Goldberg wins the Royal Rumble and Roman Reigns beats Kevin Owens? Because rest assured, Roman Reigns is beating Kevin Owens at the Royal Rumble. There is no way that... Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho is going to be a title versus no. title match. And, no. and, and I guess that match isn't announced for WrestleMania. But in my head, it's clear that we're going to have a Kevin Owens-Chris Jericho match finally at WrestleMania. That's the place to do it. With that thought. And with, I mean, with Roman Reigns not being the United States champion anymore, what's he going to do at WrestleMania? And, you know, what, 
else is he going to do? And how are you going to get the title off Kevin Owens? And like, I don't see any way to go except put the title on Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. And I could be wrong. And if you put the title on Roman Reigns at the Rumble, unless you're going to bring back Finn Balor to get his revenge on Roman Reigns because he wants his title back and he's beaten Roman before, which would be very cool because I would imagine Finn Balor would beat Roman Reigns and that'd be amazing. Like... A Goldberg versus Roman Reigns match he, excites me. He just won the Rumble. What was that, two years ago in Philly? Reigns. Yes. Two or three. Two. Two years two ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. It's not going to happen. Well, he's not, well, Roman isn't, he's going to not win the Rumble. He's going to win the title match. Right, right, right. Now, see, sorry, I'm getting confused. Okay, hold, hold the brakes for one second. Only, before we get in down to that road, what do you think the point of The Undertaker being in the Rumble is in, in itself? Well, do you I, think you bring him in as like... Uh, Doing the research, 27 is the number to like most popular number to win. Obviously, he's going to come in late. There's no way he's coming in early. I hope he comes in at number one. That's just dumb. It's not going to happen. Well, he's there. And he's, <laughs> he's there. He's got 29 souls and all, something. You forgot about his 29 holes. <laughs> Which is like a weird movie that I don't think we're allowed to watch. <laughs> the depths of the internet somewhere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but. Hope you have a secure browser. <laughs> No, I, I think he's coming in late, and like I think he's going to be like what down to the last three, four. But what's the point? Well, the point is not to get before we get ahead of where it's going to end up. The point is number one, it's compelling. Who doesn't want to watch the Undertaker? And it's been a while since we've seen the Undertaker in a non-WrestleMania match. So the idea that he's part of the storyline, not just the Undertaker match, okay. right? Like he's not just the guy we're bringing out to wrestle Shane or Bray Wyatt or whoever it is. He's in the Royal Rumble. Meaning he that wants, also puts a precedent on the Royal Rumble. Yes, it makes the, it makes well it makes the Royal Rumble huge because you got because look John Cena and Roman Reigns are not going to be in the Royal Rumble. Kevin Owens isn't going to be in the Royal Rumble. AJ Styles isn't going to be in the Royal Rumble. The two title matches right. are taking out four. And by the way, I, I saw the Royal Rumble poster with AJ Styles way in the back. Insanity, crazy, ridiculous, stupid. But but who's to say down the line? Mm -hmm. Really quick in two sentences. Why can't you have a Rich Swan also in the Rumble totally and could. also in another match? Like, you could do that long term. Is that a bad idea? Everybody should be in the Rumble. Well, well again, could, but the spots, are so, the spots are so limited. Then we go and back you, to the spots and, are limited. And you can't have, or you shouldn't at least, unless it's a surprise entrant, you couldn't have John, you couldn't have the champion no, or you the can't challenger. Have a champion. Yeah, right. That makes sense, obviously. Because if John Cena wins the title, what's he doing in the Rumble? But uh, he's getting his title. Like both those. So those he wrestles four, himself. Yeah, exactly. Champions in. I would watch that match. He could pull good. it off. Those four guys, though, that's a lot of star power that you're taking out of the Royal Rumble match. And the Royal Rumble match needs to feel like a big match. So now you've got, you've got Rollins and Jericho. You got Ambrose. You got Miz. You got Goldberg, Lesnar, Undertaker. Huge, huge, huge. I think the Undertaker being in the match is to bring star power to the match, which I think is necessary and I think is great. It's to get eyes on the pay-per-view, which it will. And it's to create this idea that there's not this one guy that's obviously going to win, unless you think it's The Undertaker. And some people do, because some people think that the Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match at WrestleMania is the foregone conclusion. And it is a little bit, but I hope it's not. I would rather see a Roman Reigns-Goldberg match. And I know that it's a risk. Like, what about this? Because you say, you know, you can't have Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns closed out. You remember we went to WrestleMania last year? Yes. It was a great WrestleMania. It was great. 
Roman Reigns closed it out by winning the title from Triple H. What sound did you hear in the building? Boo. Everybody was like ecstatic. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people boo. And you're like, well, you can't end WrestleMania again with Roman Reigns winning the championship because that's theoretically he would beat Goldberg. And I think Roman Reigns is a good guy to beat Goldberg, by the way. But on the SmackDown side of things, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a potential match between John Cena and The Undertaker. Roman Reigns versus Goldberg does not end WrestleMania if John Cena and The Undertaker is at WrestleMania. Right on. You know? And, like, you're looking at potentially some match involving Goldberg. Either Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar or Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. Either one I'm happy with. I was happy with Goldberg versus Undertaker, but that's not happening. Potentially... Still a Brock Lesnar match after that if it's, if it's Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. You think Reigns. this is going to extend past Mania? No, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying this is all at Mania. Okay. You're, but do you, you think Goldberg's that, – that's the culmination right there? Yeah, that'll be it. Okay. Yep. So it's got to be huge. Um, you're dealing with potentially John Cena versus Undertaker. You're dealing with potentially Seth Rollins versus Triple H. You're dealing with potentially Jericho versus Kevin Owens, which is going to steal the show. You know, there's there, – plus you'll throw Cruiserweights plus an Andre Battle Royal. Like, this is going to be a big WrestleMania. It's going to be huge. Um, so, you know, I, I, so, so I'm excited about where they're going with the Royal Rumble because I don't think it's as predictable as some people do. What if Charlotte wins the Royal Rumble? I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, stranger things have happened. She wouldn't be the first female uh, competitor in the Royal Rumble. China. Beth Phoenix. And China. Yeah, and China. China Absolutely. Absolutely. She was. But, no, Charlotte's not going to win the Royal Rumble. But Just throwing it out there. Hypotheticals. you got to put all the cards on the board. I think we're a year away from a female Royal Rumble match. I think next year you're going to see the women wow, be sick. have their own Rumble match. That'd be sick. And with the inclusion of, of like, part-time women coming in, you know, we saw, uh, we saw jobbers. Like, we see – I don't want to say jobbers because they're not jobbers as much as it's, like, independent talent being brought in just to showcase them on SmackDown. I don't think they're – I don't think it's condescending to use the word jobber. I, mean, I, also, but I, I don't think they're being used as jobbers because they're not, it's not just like squash, foregone, you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm not going to say foregone conclusion again, but it's not just like squash matches. Like they're not James Ellsworth. But look at where James Ellsworth is now. I know. He'll probably be in the Royal Rumble. If, if James freaking Ellsworth takes a spot in the Rumble. I'm sure he will. I get a spot in the Rumble. You well, get a spot in the Rumble. And you get a spot in the Rumble. And you, you get, get a spot, spot in the, in the Rumble. Rumble. And you. No, I would imagine he'll be there. And it would kind of make sense. You know, it just as like a comedy spot. I, there's no room for comedy spots, dude. You got to have some kind of comedy spots. It's a variety show. Then bring back Doink the Clown because I, I feel like a huge loss with him gone. Well, do you think there'll be NXT representation in the... There should be one. Well, Back I, to your point about the cruiserweights. There should be, should be NXT a NXT should be included too. And an NXT. That's true. Now... Two spots. NXT inclusion. Does that mean NXT inclusion in the sense that they're from NXT, but they're coming to the main roster, or they're NXT and they're I going back to NXT? I think you pull like NXT? a Baron Corbin and surprise everybody. One of the, like that kind of level. I think a Samoa Joe will be in the Royal Rumble. That's a good one. And he'll dominate, and I let, he should be on SmackDown. And he'll SmackDown needs a little star power, and he'll dominate over there. Look at us revisiting the Samoa Joe conversation. Because remember, I hypothesized that. He would move up in the roster, and you thought he was staying down in NXT. This is like six months ago. Yes, and that was when WWE was a different company. That was before AJ Styles became 
arguably the guy that had the best 2016 of any The face superstar. that runs the place? He really did. Like, I think AJ Styles changed a lot of minds and opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. I don't think anybody who makes decisions thought that AJ Styles was going to be as good as he is. AJ Styles is in the conversation as the best person on the roster right now. Promo, match skill, uh, interest from the fans, everything. Like, AJ Styles in the conversation as the best person on the roster. You know, I think, obviously John Cena's there, but John Cena's in a different stratosphere. John Cena's like an inch away from The Rock, not in Hollywood, but in the world mm -hmm. of WWE. You know what I mean? Like, John Cena's just reached a whole other level. But AJ Styles, I think Seth Rollins could be there. He's not there at the exact moment, but at any moment he could be. And I think once Kevin Owens goes back to being a tough guy and not a funny guy, which I'm okay with him being a funny guy right now, but I think after this is done, he'll go back to being a tough guy. And he may be in that conversation. Who knows? But the fact that Kevin Owens has become this, like, main event attraction, the fact that AJ Styles, is, and it's working as the champion, the fact that AJ Styles is arguably the best on the roster and he's, quote-unquote, a star from someplace else, would lead me to believe that they would look at Samoa Joe and go, like, you know what, maybe, maybe what works works, and he will work here, and I think he will. Quick sidebar, did you see the Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns house show where Roman... Oh, where, where, Can you tell the story? Because you'll tell it better than I will. That was seriously funny. Started, where Roman started laughing? It was hilarious. It was great. I'm sure you've all seen the video, but, you know, Kevin Owens, what he, he, at all the house shows, he did it at the house show I went to in White Plains uh, last month. You know, he locks Roman Reigns in a headlock, <laughs> and he starts jawjacking with fans. Like, he'll pick out specific fans and going after them. And it's really just being done, like anybody who's ever done a high school play, not to compare pro wrestling to high school plays, but anybody who's ever done a high school play. Hey, Meryl play, Streep. Yeah, <laughs> it's not <laughs> the arts. Anybody who's ever done a high school play and had, had fun has tried to make their co-star laugh. You know what I mean? And that's what I think Kevin but, Owens but is doing. But we're on the same page. That, like, Owens' stuff is so funny. It's so funny. Like, Roman, you can't not crack up. I didn't, I didn't mind when Roman started laughing. But I, he was antagonizing the fan about, he said he makes more money in merchandise yes. in the last week than the guy made in his last year or something. It was so, like, ridiculous. It was great. It was great. <laughs> it was great. Um, speaking of NXT, it hasn't aired on TV yet, but, it's, I mean, WWE put it on their YouTube channel. It's It's everywhere. Chris Hero, our old pal, he's been on the podcast before, is back. Cassius Ono is back in NXT. Um, I think it's a great addition. I think he's there to take the place of Samoa Joe in terms of drawing Ooh. people to house shows. Um, you know, I think he's there for this NXT run. Like the same way Mickey James was – well, she, I guess she wasn't really brought in for a full run run. Although she's supposed to be popping up at any moment. You know, she was supposedly had signed with WWE, Mickey James. It's huge. So she should be popping up any moment. But I think Chris Hero is being brought in at the moment, Cassius Ono, to do a run towards, I guess he'll end up challenging Nakamura in San Antonio for the TakeOver show because they need those big title matches at their TakeOver shows. Uh, and I think that, that it'll be awesome. I love, I've loved Chris Hero for a long time. Everybody who listens to this should probably know that by now. But... It was really cool to see him back, not only because you always want to see good guys who are talented get opportunities, but because it really, and it goes back to our Samoa Joe conversation, goes to show you the level to which the industry has changed in the sense that, like, you know, Chris well, Hero. Well, anything's possible. Right. They're not going to, like, just because they've been in before. 
Like, exactly. Mickey James. I, you never thought you'd see her back. Neither Mickey James nor Chris Hero, Cassius Ono. They're not, like, young. Not in the sense that they're old. Yeah. But they're not kids. You know what I mean? Like, they're not... The door isn't shut. But the fact that they still have a shot. You know what? Come back for a run. Let's see what we got. Let's try it. That's what it feels like they're doing. Yeah, let's try it. Come back in. Let's do something. And then you know what? Chris Hero, I say now, he's probably brought in just to do this run with Nakamura. But let's say it works like gangbusters. You know what? This really works. Let's put the title on him. You know what? Let's keep him around NXT for a while. You know what? He's super hot in NXT, the same way Samoa Joe was. Let's bring him up to the main roster. Where do you see the landscape now, NXT, as opposed, uh, compared to where it was about a year ago? Well, it's, I think it's a totally different thing. For better um, or for worse? I think for different. different. Yeah, I think it's for better in the sense that it's almost become this vehicle that puts on great live shows and will give you an amazing quarterly pay-per-view. I don't know that it's as good for developing talent anymore. You know what NXT has become? It's become this place. You can still develop talent at the Performance Center, by the way. And I'm sure those Cocoa Beach shows are full of, like... (laughs) True developmental talent. And so Those I'm are not, the best. Yeah. The best. I'm not saying they're not developing talent anymore because yeah. they absolutely are developing talent. But I think the NXT brand has become a place where people can come in that maybe wouldn't have a place in WWE before. And they can now come to NXT, which is looked at by WWE and make some money, be part of a, a huge international now touring brand. And there is a path to the main roster so that somebody like Samoa Joe, Chris Hero, Nakamura, these guys, and Nakamura may have made it anyway, I don't know, but these guys, the Bobby Roode, Bobby Roode isn't getting a WWE contract. He's 38 years old. He's a TNA established name. He should get a WWE contract. Yeah, you can say that about Styles, though. Yes. And, and before now... He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have gotten a contract. He got a contract a year ago. He wouldn't have gotten one two years ago. And he didn't. And when AJ Styles first left TNA, um, on the rumor mills, everybody was saying that he was offered. Oh, that was the Rumble last year. That was uh, one year ago, I'm, yeah. And now, and now he's main eventing with John Cena in the Great match that's going to. One year. Yeah, I mean, time. you talk about show stealers. That's the match that's going to steal the show. It was amazing at SummerSlam. Those two are going to be incredible. But... Um, when AJ Styles first left TNA, he was offered like a, a, a minuscule fraction of what he was making in TNA to come to NXT and be like developmental NXT talent. He got, well, we'll give you an opportunity, but that's all we can give you. Not like, here's some guaranteed money because you're a, you're a draw. Well, we'll give you an opportunity. We'll bring you into NXT. Like, we'll I don't see what remember you... Styles being in NXT. He didn't go. He went right to main, in the Rumble. Well, he didn't right? go to yeah, NXT. Yeah, okay. So what he happened there? He went to Japan. And when he ah. went to Japan and took uh, Prince Devitt's place, Finn Balor's place in the Bullet Club, he became an international draw mm. outside of TNA. And then he brokered the deal with him, Nakamura, and Gallows and Anderson to all come over at the same time. Chess, not checkers, in the words of Sam Roberts. Exactly. Those long-term plays are the ones that mm. work. And if you're talented, and AJ Styles knew his, he was talented and he knew what he was worth is, there's a big problem with some people – outpricing themselves and not mm. realizing that their worth isn't what they think it is. But AJ was accurate. And that's been proven. And, I mean, he came in with the right attitude. We talked to him at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And you talk about a guy you were struck, I remember, 
after the interview at just like how good his attitude, like what a cool dude Amazing, he was. Amazing, positive attitude, good Christian guy, just hands but, down strong he was not a liar. Morals. He was like, remember we asked him about TNA and he was like, I, I didn't shed a tear. I spent yep. years there. I didn't shed a tear. I was more sad about leaving Japan. Remember he said that? Yep. And so he was, he was honest, but he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm here to do my thing. And Gallows and Anderson have, have told sure me that since I'm sure he loved the, uh, the little sitcoms he was in with uh, Dixie Carter, though. I'm sure he really misses probably, those. He probably misses them a lot. A lot. I bet TNA is going to miss Dixie Carter quite a bit. Now that Anthem has taken over. Have you seen the new logo with the wings? I have not. Yes, there's a new Impact logo. Uh, at the moment, I can't say I'm a fan of it because it looks like the Twitter logo. But huh. not that I won't warm to it. I'm sure I could. And, uh, you know, I don't have a ton to say about the fact that Anthem has bought out TNA and uh, looks as though they've bought out uh, Dixie Carter's power in the company. Like, she's not going to be the boss anymore and it's going to be a whole new thing. Uh, but I'm very optimistic about it, for sure. I don't know much about the inner workings over there. Competition, but always good thing. Yeah. I mean, but I'm that, that hot second where we were just all over deleted. I mean, come yes, on. Yes, exactly, exactly. Before we get off the topic of NXT, uh, we were talking about the stacked card potentially at Mania. Yes. Is Nakamura a name to be thrown into that mix? Or do you say that? I don't think so. Hmm. I think that you've got Joe. So why waste that... Like, you, you, you've got Joe. For Mania or for Rumble Entrant? Well, see, for Rumble, for me, but I think that the, the impact, no pun intended, of Samoa Joe entering into the Royal Rumble carries through WrestleMania. You know, mm. I don't think that Nakamura, if Nakamura shows up at WrestleMania, it's to wrestle in a big match. It's not to just kind of show up. It's because we're going to see a Nakamura entrance at uh. WrestleMania. It's, it's on a big stage. Like, you know, Baron Corbin, as, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but he's only getting uh, uh, hugely, hugely better every week. And he's, he's been my favorite bad guy for a long time. But Why don't you guys switch digits? He was. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm in love with him. Okay? I, 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 he completes me. Understood. But... End of days. Hopefully, it'll be you two together. It will be at the end of days. But Baron is, because he was only known for NXT, a lot of people didn't know who he was. So the best possible way he could have come to the main roster was what he did, winning the Andre Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania. You remember? We're watching it, and we go, is that Baron Corbin in there? And you're like, sorry, I'm looking at Tatanka right now. True. And I go, yeah, but I think that's Baron Corbin. And you're like, no, he's NXT. Whoa, that's Baron Corbin. And then he won. Like, that's like, whoa. Nakamura is too big of a deal. To you could argue Styles' entrance in the Rumble. I, they pulled that off quickly the next day. What do you mean? Like, he came in, and we were like, whoa! Yeah. And then the next day, must have been Raw, Raw. he... He was still a big deal. Like that's I don't what feel I mean. like his his entrance was spoiled by being a participant in the Rumble. No, but that's what I mean. That that entering in at the Rumble, the the fact that AJ Styles was at the Royal Rumble carried to WrestleMania. That the impact. Uh, so you so, say to do that so with Joe. Joe. Uh, understood. And if you've got the ability to do that, if you bring Nakamura in, we have very short attention spans. And just the, the way it's too much birthday. Too much birthday. Like, to bring Nakamura in as that wave of Samoa Joe is coming spoils both. 
Well, and you, always, you already have too much going on in both these. Right. I would say Nakamura, if he's going to come over soon, he shouldn't come over before SummerSlam. If, if Nakamura has, like, a big uh, thing coming up where he's going to enter the main roster, it should be. And I don't mean, like, surprise at SummerSlam. I mean, like, like Finn Balor showed up on the draft raw, of course, blah, 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 but really showed up at SummerSlam. And then he left right away. But point is, he showed up. His sort of, hey, guys, I'm here. This is the demon with SummerSlam when he won the title from Seth Rollins. So that's the position that Nakamura needs to be in if he's going to come to the main roster anytime soon. I just think you always have to keep in mind that these guys are not fresh chickens, man. No, but it's, it's, I mean. It, you're putting them through. These and you and I have seen some of these. Jim, my favorite, kind of like backyard wrestling NXT shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I know there's two different teams on NXT. Yeah, and now. he doesn't do the. Cocoa I understand Beach shows. that, but the longer you hold him out, I, that's my only thought. Well, they should probably like, like have him stop doing twenty minute matches, just seven minute matches. It's better, but <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that he can last, you know, until SummerSlam. I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think he's going to die. I hope not. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'd be bummed. I'm just, you see my point. Absolutely. But I think, I think just in terms of the potential impact that it could have, you can't bring everybody in at once, you know? You just can't. Can I make a, um, a, a, a tangential bizarre point that I've been sifting on for like a little? Uh-huh. You know who I feel like we're missing on the roster right now? No. Yes. Uh... I went down this Braun Strowman rabbit hole. Of course you did. And tell me if you want to go somewhere else first, but this has been, like, bothering me. Mm -hmm. This is what keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. I questioned if he was... By the way, we could be totally wrong. They could be setting up... You saw Braun Strowman watching The Undertaker enter the Royal Rumble. Right. And and I think, as Bruce Pritchard said in the interview, that's one of those things that they just pipe in to see what interest is. Like, I think Goldberg... Uh, Reigns ended Raw last week just to see where the interest was. And it felt like there was a lot of interest. Like there was instant chemistry. And I feel like when we saw Braun Strowman watching The Undertaker, potentially saying, well, what if this was your WrestleMania match? There was a collective like, no. <laughs> no, we, no. What? No, huh? No. That's a three-star. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't need... Love Braun Strowman. I, I think the build, his build has been monster. one of the one of the best in a long time. He's a monster among men, but not but among he, dead men. Is he a monster among men? And this is where I went because I think missing right now on the roster. Mantar, an actual monster. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the weird zone in a second, but like a Big Show, Giant Gonzalez, Great Khali. Mm-hmm. There's no one of I, you well, can big say. Show. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, that's sprinkled in. Yeah. I don't think that's main player right now. You look at the stats. Let's go with, oh, I always want to call Giant Gonzalez Mighty Gonzalez. Why is that? Because he's a mighty dude. Whatever. Seven seven four sixty. Big show. Seven foot tall, 440, mm-hmm. 441. Strowman, what would you think he is? My point here is I don't, I, I, I question if he is as giant as they're making him to be. Was he like 6'10"? Close. 6'8"? Six, 6'8". Eight? Six, eight. Six eight, probably like three sixty. 
385. That's close, dude. That's, That's huge. That's pretty good. Well, you I, think so? Well, here's like, the... I immediately think of Braun Strowman, and the first person I think of mm-hmm. is Bam Bam Bigelow. I don't, that's just where my brain goes. He's bigger than Bam Bam. I know, and you can argue me all day. It's two different people. I freaking get it. I don't want a barrage of tweets. Bigelow, 6'4", 390. Comparable. I just don't see him and as six, a, is a big massive, difference. massive dude he's projected to be. Do I think he's, like, insane? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things at play there. Go I'm ahead. glad you brought that up. It's a great point. 6'4", and 6'8", is a big difference. The height is big. Like, 6'4 is not stepping over the top rope. 6'8 is stepping over the top rope. Bam Bam's 50 pounds more than Braun. Well, Bam Bam had some chubby days. No, so I strike that. I'm sorry. Bam Bam's five pounds bigger than... By the way, Bam Bam was, like, maybe the best big man of all time, in my mind. So maybe that's why my brain goes there. Like, Bam Bam Bigelow is, to me, the best big man. It goes Bam Bam, Vader in his prime, Yokozuna in his prime. Like, these are the best. But you also have to keep in mind that I don't know. I don't have the statistics, and this could be a fun exercise for you. Ooh. But if you do, if you look at the roster, wrestlers have shrunk. Like, Daniel Bryan was the world champion, and he's 5'9". Which is why I always get confused as to this whole cruiserweight category, because you could arguably say that a couple of the main dudes are in the, should be in the cruiserweight category. Well, it's about but that's a sidebar. Wait. And there are, well, yeah, there's still, sidebar. there's still people that could be. And like, you know. But I mean, even look at Brock Lesnar and how much he's shrunk. Finn Balor looks well. He hasn't shrunk. He's dude. Ask ask uh, Usada if he's shrunk. No freaking way. To when we back when he was doing like shooting star presses at Mania, he was so huge and intimidating. I feel like now it's like don't tell me. I'm not gonna say he's not a big guy, but like just the size. This is also totally different than what your point is. Yeah. But wrestlers are smaller. Wrestlers are smaller. Like like because height and I'm let's do height. I think is what the conversation should be about because that's what makes the big show and all the big yes. show, Giant Gonzalez, yes. Andre the Giant. Like, that's really what makes them spectacles. Great Great Khali, it's height. And that's important. And it's historically been important in WWE, but it's not as much as it used to be because a guy like Daniel Bryan got over, a guy who's, you know, not even close to six feet tall. Like, there's the, the average height of a wrestler is probably a lot smaller than it used to be. You know, it's not necessarily the land of the giants anymore. So a guy. But do you always think there's that one standout giant? Well, yeah, but generally speaking, the one st- aside from Big Show, because when Big Show was, I mean, young, you could arguably that Cass is big, but that's he's he, he athletically he plays different. So we're not going there. Cass is different. Yeah, but big guys aren't good wrestlers usually like the giant gonzalez and great Kali. but it's a spectacle but you're you're painting braun Strowman as a monster they're terrible though and the point of braun Strowman, and if you listen to commentary when he's wrestling you hear them every time he wrestles saying what's really scary about braun Strowman is he's as fast as he is big that's the selling point that like he's an unstoppable monster because i don't know i saw his run outside the ring two weeks ago i was he can move for six, eight, three, eighty, uh, whatever you said. Enough. Fair enough. He can move. That's a lot of weight to carry around. I couldn't carry around eighty, let alone three eighty. <laughs> but, but, I, I, I think because people, wrestling matches are different, right? Because people expect more athleticism now. Like you can't get away yeah. with a scrub match with a giant. Giant Gonzalez could not hang in two thousand seventeen at all. He's. They'd be like, yeah, he's tall, but he's terrible. I don't want to see him on my TV. He's awful. 
By the end of it, great Kali, people were like, I get it. He's tall. He stinks. And I don't think I don't people, know, people want to see it. I think people uh, would much rather see a giant, a guy who's 6'8", 380 is still a giant if we hadn't been spoiled by, you know, 7'7". Seven, seven. But a guy who's 6'8", 380 is still a giant. And the fact that he can go and move and pull off moves and, like, put on an entertaining wrestling match has its own value, which I think right now and, – and, and if they found somebody that was giant that could go – then I'm sure they would bring him on. Well, I mean, you could argue with Cass again. But Cass isn't like... Uh, big, big. Right, he's not monster he's big. And I think they are positioning him to be seven foot tall and, and this guy. But Cass isn't a killer yet. He's, he's just not there yet. He will be, you know, but he's not... Diesel, like, was, was big. Cass is, is more athletic yeah. than seven feet tall. And I think Cass is impressive, but he fills a different role, kind of. You know what I mean? And I think he's doing well at, at the role that he's filling. And I think that they're slowly progressing him into highlighting the fact that he's big more. But he's also just so – he's young and he's athletic. So it's like he's not doing all the big man moves because he doesn't have to because he can do smaller guy moves, I think, as well. But it's a good point. Let's talk about – we were talking about AJ Styles. Yeah. Right and New Japan and all. Wait, that. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, Sorry. sure. Um, in the big, the the big giant category, yeah, yeah. I just want to make one point because You're I such an adore... old school wrestling fan, by the way, because all you want is like the gimmicks and the terrible yeah, squash matches I mean, and yeah. Call it subjective. That's the person <laughs> I am. I'm so digging the growth of Nia Jax. Just she to is. finish we were the talking about. We were t- remember, we were talking about her yes. and how she needed work, and it's like it's getting there. she's working. But then she smiled after the match. Like I adore her. As you don't a want to freaking see her wrestler, smile. I, I want, and I also just don't want her music to be like, I'm a monster. Mm. I like cupcakes and cookies. I'm a monster. <laughs> like, like, if she brings out a rifle or a chainsaw, I'm in. That's like, they have see. to make her meaner. Yeah. She can't keep smiling. I know she loves happy with her performance. Shut it down. I don't know. I've just been kind of watching Naya grow and been like. As a wrestler, 100%. And I've just been kind of in a mode of let's just see where this is going, I guess, with Naya. I haven't really gotten i haven't been i haven't watched and been like that needs to change i'm a monster but i get your point i like chewy sprees and runts just because they're fun just because they're happy cute (laughs) i want to talk about new japan do it because i'm sure you didn't get a chance to see wrestle kingdom uh 11 no uh but kenny omega of course had the match of the night by a mile and i talked about this last week and somebody said i didn't mention the match and i did mention the main event in the context of New Japan was able to do a show that was six and a half hours long with a 45-minute main event that had everybody on their feet. That is like half the time it takes The Undertaker to get to the ring. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Yeah, but they, like everybody was on their feet. And like, remember SummerSlam, how it felt long? By the end of it, it was like, yes. that was a long show. Yes. This one, it was like... I mean, I hit the snack bar and beer stand like 11 times. And some of the matches that went on later suffered. Because the crowd was right. exhausted. But the pacing of this show was so good. But I, it was also the match. Like, it's probably I only had a to, few beers for the record, people. Not, <laughs> not an alcoholic. She's an adult. I drink like twice a month. Okay. It's probably going to go down as match of the year. You should check it out if you get a chance. Don't watch the whole six and a half hour show. You don't have the time. But watch the Kenny Omega match. Not to be ignorant, but what is, the, for anybody that, how do you catch that feed? Well, if you subscribe to New Japan World, 
you got to go into Google Translate. It's complicated, but hardcore wrestling fans can do it. But I'm sure you can also find it. You know, I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Kenny Omega, he who is the leader of the Bullet Club, and he's in Elite with the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. Um, Kenny Omega is like Benjamin Button, man. He's been around like. He's been around. He's been around, but he's still like. He just keeps getting better. Yeah, he's at the prime. And he's always at his prime, but he's, at, he's, as, he's the best he's ever been and the best almost anybody's ever been. But Kenny Omega uh, tweeted that he was leaving Japan for a while to collect himself to figure out what's next on his journey. Hinted at the fact that he's not coming back. Hinted. And John Cena, on his Instagram, has Ooh. twice that I've seen, and I'm on Instagram, twice that I've seen, John Cena, uh, once he posted a photo of Kenny Omega, and then once he just posted a big O, which I assumed was for Kenny Omega. I think it was the Omega Man. No. I don't know what it was. I don't think Omega Man is a thing. I think it's Mega Man. But it was an O that I assumed was for Omega. Now, it could be trolling, which John Cena has been known to do, but a year ago, almost to the day. Or the Oregon Ducks O. I'm just kidding. We're just brainstorming. Throwing out be. ideas. I, okay. I mean, it could be that. All right. But a year ago, almost to the day, before anything was announced, John Cena Instagrammed out photos of AJ Styles. I think... That's huge, dude. If Kenny Omega were available and wanted to be in WWE, he could be a major player. Uh, if both sides got what they wanted, and I assume they could figure it out. You know, I, I don't see how you can watch his performance at Wrestle Kingdom and not say, yep, he's the guy. You know, as much as it's like, and, and you know what? The stigma's even taken away because, and you can follow me on this, because you'd say, well, what, is WWE just going to go through and just take everybody from the Bullet Club? Just, oh, Ferg, Fergal Devitt, get over here. You're the leader of the Bullet Club? Come to WWE. Who took your place? AJ Styles? Get over here, AJ. Oh, who took your place? Kenny Omega? Kenny, welcome in. Because guess what? Cody Rhodes just joined the Bullet Club, so they're doing the same thing. They took WWE guys and put them in the Bullet Club. And Billy Gunn was on the Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view in the Battle Royal with a Bullet Club shirt on. And Yoshitatsu, I think, had a Bullet Club shirt on. So, Bullet Club's doing the same thing. Get me up to speed with Billy Gunn. I mean, he's just, he was just in the Battle Royal. It was just like a... like a. They can't be happy about that. I mean, I, I think he'd be happy just to be on the show at this point. He's Billy Gunn. He's not like he's like going to have another run in him. You I know? thought he was doing some stuff behind the scenes, though. No, no, no. He, uh, he was a trainer at NXT. Right. And then, to my knowledge, they, he was using some kind of performance-enhancing thing. And, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, I think, I There's think the disconnect. I think that's what happened. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I, obviously— If you're wrong, you just, you know, straight up made up lies, horrible lies about somebody. And but I think that fair. I'm not wrong. Okay. I think. Good enough, good enough. Um, my gut— and my gut's been wrong before. But my gut tells me that Kenny Omega is staying in New Japan. And that, like, I, I've, my first, and this is kind of a, a tangent. I don't think it relates to the story. It's just kind of putting myself in there. But my first ever wrestling show that I did commentary for, I think it was the first one I did commentary for, was for... Jersey All Pro Wrestling, and it was in the Rawway Rec Center, which we've been to multiple times. And yep. I've heard, and this was years ago. And over the years, I've done many shows in that building. But it was for Jersey All Pro Wrestling, and there was a guy there 
who I commentated his match, and I was like, I've never heard of this guy, but he is awesome. Was it Starman? And then, no, this was Jersey All Pro, not, not Pro Wrestling Syndicate, which Fair turned enough. into Wrestle Pro, which Wrestle Pro is now, uh, I guess, my favorite uh, indie. Indie, indie. Like, you know, you're not talking about Ring of Honor and stuff. I would like agree that, with you on that. Yeah, Wrestle Pro is the best. But. Um, Teen Wolf was trending the other day, too, by the way. <laughs> I think that was Good for the for show, him. Teen Wolf. Good for him. He's doing Sidebar. great. Um, but I watched this match. I'm like, this guy's awesome. And they're like, yeah, well, he's not sticking around America. He's leaving. And then we were like, let's go get a promo with him for the DVD after the show. And he started singing. He's like, Jersey All Pro Wrestling, don't you forget about me. And then like he did the whole thing and he was just like looking and he's like, as you walk on by, will you call my name? And I was like, this guy's awesome. And then he went to Japan and you know what his name was? Kenny Omega. That was when he... How many years ago was that? I don't even remember. It was many years ago. Somebody could easily do the research on it, yeah. but I don't remember. And like from that point on, I was hooked. I was like, this guy is the man. And he's done, cra- he's done way better than that in New Japan. Like, like he's become a giant, massive star in his entrance. Everything is so great about him. But I think he'd be an excellent addition to WWE. I just think that this is a guy who values performance more so than a lot of other wrestlers or superstars or whatever. And I personally believe that he's staying in New Japan. Wow, he isn't that old. I thought he was older than 33. No, no, no. He's not old at all. He's got plenty of years left in him. I just feel like he's been around for a while. I think he's staying in New Japan and he's trolling people right now. And John Cena's just kind of jumping in on this internet hoopla, which John Cena tends to do, which is why I love his Instagram. Uh, But I, I personally, if I had to guess, I would guess that Kenny Omega is not on his way in right now. I think he will get there. I think he will be in WWE for sure. But I don't think it's. I don't think this is what's happening. <laughs> so that's just my opinion. A uh, couple of quick notes before we wrap this up. Um, the uh, Shawn Michaels segment on Raw. A lot of people criticized it. I understand why they would criticize it. People were hard on Raw this week, by the way. People did not like the show. I didn't think it was that bad. It wasn't the best Raw, but. It wasn't. It was what I was talking about before. Two weeks ago, they had an amazing RAW. You know why? Because they had stuff going on the whole time, and because Charlie, this is, I'm telling you, when Charlie or whoever's interviewing people backstage have like nine segments in one show, it's a good show because that means there's a hundred things going on, and this one reporter is trying to get their hands on everything, and we as the viewers are going like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? If you've got no segments like that, then you're just like, oh, this is just RAW the same show we've seen over and over again. So um, that, to me, is my new litmus test. But I didn't think it was... More Chaz. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it was that bad, though. I thought the Undertaker thing was cool. Um, You know, I thought Chris Jericho winning the U.S. title was awesome, and it leads me into uh, thinking that the U.S. title is going to be up for grabs between Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens at WrestleMania, which that match... I don't think should be for the universal title, but making it for the United States title is cool and definitely adds some, some, some flavor to it, even though I don't think it needs it. Because to me, this is the 2017, as I talked to Bruce Pritchard about, this is the 2017 Mega Powers Colliding. I think it's been great. The story's been awesome, and it's terrific. Um, I didn't think the Shaw might... Here's why the merit. I always see the positive. You know I'm a wrestling fan. I like wrestling. 
I like watching it. I like WWE. I like it a lot. Yeah. The merit that I found in that is that Rusev is goddamn hilarious. I found Rusev, Rusev tickled me. I thought he was so funny. Just in that, just, just, yeah, in his accent. Shawn Michaels is obviously promoting a movie that is already done. And Rusev just being like, put my wife in the movie. (laughs) was just like, and he kept saying it. Even though it wasn't getting anywhere. And then he said he was the Bulgarian George Clooney and how, like, good-looking he was. It just, like, I, it felt like it was funny Total Divas Rusev. Because I watched that, too. Coming out on TV. And I, to me, I thought Rusev was hilarious on Raw. Hilarious. I think maybe the disconnect in that segment was just, it just seemed too long. It was a long one. A lot of moving parts, too. But I'm going to tell you this. You're going to come to me in a couple months. And be like, you know what, Sam? And I'm going to be like, what, Katie? And you're going to be like, you were right. Rusev is hilarious. Okay, hold me to that. That's what I think is going to happen. Hold me to that. Um, Remember that one time we saw Rusev in a truck stop? Yeah. That was fun. And more people were excited to see you than Rusev, and it got real awkward real fast. I'm, I'm going to use the restroom. I don't think that's true. True story. But if that, if that is true, then they were, they were fools for people because Rusev is, is... And then we got lots of fatty fast food. Yeah, that's like my everyday. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, so that, that was the merit in that. Uh, I like what's going on with Dolph Ziggler. He was doing what I, what I uh, was talking about last week on the podcast on Talking Smack in the sense that he was being himself and being more like the guy who I interviewed at WrestleMania 29 that I played on the podcast last week. Um, I thought it was funny that he kind of snapped at the end of his match on SmackDown. It was very Bob Backlund. Mm. It was very mm. Bob Backlund has snapped. Except not with the crazy eyes. You gave me a look. You don't like Dolph Ziggler, bad guy? No, I do like that. I, I, it actually reminded me of I want, a question I want to ask you about. Do you think that Roman Reigns is starting to be more, himself more on mic? Because I can never figure that out. Um, I don't know. We've been, we've been collectively trying to figure that out for over a year. It kind of goes week by week. But I think... I thought this week was a little interesting. Yeah, I think Roman... Roman should get Goldberg. And I think that Roman should have this air about him like... F you, old man. Like, who do you think you are coming in here? Like, I get it. You did stuff before. I'm Roman Reigns. Like, you don't stand a chance against me. And, like, really have a chip on his shoulder. Because he should in real life, right? Like, who is Goldberg? Like, this is my time. Like, Goldberg had his time. He sold out the Georgia Dome with Hulk Hogan on Nitro and won the title. He had his time. This is now us. But down here, down here, it's (laughs) our time. These are people's dreams. Yeah. I, uh... I think that he should, yeah, he should have a chip on his shoulder and, like, really, om- like, not be impressed by Goldberg or intimidated and let Goldberg know that he has every reason in the world to fear him. And I think if that's the Roman Reigns we see, people will get behind him. Uh, but I think it's week by week with Roman. Um, but so do you, you don't like Ziggler or you like, or you don't know? I don't know how I feel about him turning heel. I think he has to. I said it last week, but I... I I do give him kudos for just, like, keeping it going. Let me ask you this. A show-off. Is a show-off a likable guy? I immediately think Mr. Perfect. Is a show-off, somebody who shows off, just in life, is a show-off... Shawn Michaels. Humble in defeat? No. Is a show-off a good guy? Not a good guy. Is a show-off a good guy? If you knew a show-off in life, a guy who's just a show-off, is he good? Is he a good guy? No. No. 
Fair, and I feel like he hasn't had an identity. Well, he did when he was established. Yeah, because he's the show off. It's kind of in the, like this weird middle ground for a long time. Which is so, why. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I buy in. I think this is it. I think this is it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can find Katie Lindahl uh, every week or so. I had two final notes. One was Kamala, and the other was Doink. Do you know why? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Both great, great competitors. Yeah. Great, great competitors. Yeah. You can find Katie Linnadal uh, just about every week over at katie.show. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, you just type in your URL instead of .com, .show, or you can search on iTunes, katie.show, and you can find it there. It's a great tech lifestyles podcast that I recommend. Uh, katie, thank you so much. It's been fun, Chowski. And I'll, uh, I'll see you next week. Chowski. Bye. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.